But yeah, no, this song, this movie is definitely God's Not Dead meets Doubt. And it's better than one of those movies, but way worse than the other. And there's one of those three that I would actually want to watch instead of this movie ever again. Your mother sucks cock in hell. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> Wait, no, that's, that's from only, a good movie. That's, no, that's from a that's good the movie. Only, that's the only um, Exorcist reference I know. Well, that's from the actual, an actual good movie. Today we're talking about a movie that's not that good. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we got stoned and watched? <laughs> Stop it. Hey, babe. Yeah, babe. Remember that time we were just like kicking around like, ah, fuck it. Let's watch like, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And traumatized me? Yeah. Okay, it was your idea. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. My name is Nicole, and the way that I deal with fear is I research the shit out of it, and then I just face it. So what did we do last night? We watched The Exorcism of Emily Rose, the film that scared the pants off of me when I was in middle school. My name is Topher, and the way I deal with watching bad movies is to research the shit out of it so I can say here's why it's bad and not just be a dick fair i mean you gotta have supporting um evidence right yeah yeah so uh, my history with this film i'm just gonna jump right into that is i was in middle school and you know how you know how like maybe this still happens today but i feel i feel like it's never gonna go away is when like the boy's like yeah let's go let's go see this like scary movie don't worry, I'll hold your hand or like whatever, just Boy. to, you know, that whole trope. So I remember I, I had my first boyfriend in middle school and it was more of like a bet or something. Like I really wanted him to watch something. I can't even remember what it was, of course. Like, but of course it seemed so important at the time. Talk Everlasting. Maybe it might. Oh, actually, I think it was a walk to remember. Mm. I think mm-hmm, that's what it mm-hmm, was. Mm-hmm. So I think that was the bet. Or not the bet, but like the deal. I made him watch A Walk to Remember. And in return, I said I would go to the movie theater and see Exorcism of Emily Rose. And I'm usually not... Horror films don't scare me in like a very real way, if that makes sense. Like like they're fun. Yeah. Um, For me and they're... Maybe it's because I'm able to say like this isn't real this is all like magic and you know like magic of filmmaking but like when that when that title card comes up and says based on a true story when you're in middle school that's a really terrifying thing to see (laughs) and then what happens after that is even more terrifying and you you don't when you're that age you don't know that like based on a true story you don't know how loose that is right um so what i the reason i wanted to do um this movie like i've been taking notes since before we even recorded our first episode it's true i saw him i wanted to kind of go through and debunk some things that happened in the movie that you know apparently historically didn't actually happen to this poor girl and just to further say that when a title card comes up that says based on a true story you have to take it with a grain of salt whole heap really yeah because it literally could be just like the plot points are what is based in reality but everything surrounding it which is the meat of the movie isn't actually true i just think it's really funny that you and this boy were trying to evangelize each other through different ways because both of those movies are about how real no, it's god true. is it's true there are like um there are religious aspects to both of those movies it's really strange yeah it's a really weird coincidence 
but so this was my first time seeing the movie uh Mm -hmm. i it was my third right yeah because i I remember watching it again like a couple years later and trying to face my fear and what ended up happening was i put it on in my mom's um in our living room i was um living in georgia and i got through like the first part fine Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just remember once shit started going down, I just like left the room and I was too afraid to go back into the room to turn it off. <laughs> so the thing played, but I didn't really watch it. The flashbacks in this film that go back to like anytime, anytime night falls, right, mm-hmm. is, is when um, all the shit goes down, scared me so much that I forgot that 50% of the movie, maybe more, maybe 75% is is in a courtroom yeah i did not like we turned that on last night Mm -hmm. and i didn't remember that laura linney one of my heroes is in it yeah laura linney for president um i didn't remember that there was any sort of court trial happen like i only remembered what scared me to shits sure you know yeah I think for me, it's funny coming into this, you know, 15 years after it was released. Yeah. I remember when it came out, right? Like, I remember everybody was like, oh, it's so scary. It's so scary. It's so scary. It was the biggest um, exorcism movie since The Exorcist. Yeah. Yeah. But I was definitely not in... I was sort of out of my horror watching phase. This is kind of in between when I was... I had first gotten into horror as a kid, and then I got back into horror in college. Yeah. But, like, the high school years for me well, were this, a little bit... this was around the time when, like, Saw came... And we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, a, this is just referencing our own history here, mm-hmm. which is not the most important. But, like, basically what I was going to... I just wanted to get to is that, like... So I had seen the American remake of The Grudge mm-hmm. in 2004, around when it came out. Scared... Again, that one scared me, like, absolutely shitless. Yeah. Um, and I was kind of like dealing with a lot of things so I wasn't really watching a lot of horror movies because I was just like I'm gonna watch all these weird cool indie dramas with my mom because that's what we used to do yeah so I definitely missed this when it came out and then I remember hearing it references like the super scary movie and everything and like everybody was so terrified of it and I was watching it last night and again I did not expect it to be 75 to 80 percent courtroom drama didn't expect laura lenny didn't expect tom wilkinson didn't expect the actual horror aspects of the movie to be so so small yeah um not to say that it it, like you know fear is in the eye of the beholder or whatever but yeah i I were watching this and like maybe it's the hype or whatever but this movie was nothing to me i was so bored right I think what really scares me about it is it's like it all seems somewhat plausible. And we don't know because the people who on record who have been quote unquote possessed or gone through an exorcism often don't survive. Right. So it's one of those things where it's almost like life after death sort of thing. Like the only people who actually know are the people who go through it and the dead tend to be silent on the matter they tend to be yes i think it's more of like a fear of the unknown and i think a lot of people a lot of people are afraid of possession and for sure yeah i think it's a wonderful genre for that reason like if i really just want to be 
feel like I want to be super scared. That's the genre I would put on for myself. Yeah. And I think it's because they're, you know, historical events that and if things are like, you know, based on based on a true story, it strikes a chord. Right. Definitely. I think also there's the real life pattern of it. Like she wakes up every morning at 3 a.m. Smells something burning. Yeah. Like after I saw this, I woke up at 3 a.m. for a couple nights. Mm -hmm. Like I just and that, of course, just sent me into a spiral. (laughs) And I think that's scary because I think waking up in the middle of the night in general is kind of scary because you're a little bit disoriented and Mm. you're like, why did I wake up? Like you're trying to figure that out. Right. So I don't know. I think that this just strikes a chord with a lot of people. And and just the fact that religion is such a um, divisive thing. Yeah. And I'm going to get into that later about, like, you know, sure. what different um, people of different religious backgrounds thought of this film. But I, I really think that's why it just scares me to my core. And just, like, the pure, like, body work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, seeing a body contort like that and make demonic sounds is yes. just to me sends shivers down my spine fair enough yeah for me it's just that this movie is barely a horror movie yeah uh, and I, I understand I think, that and I'm just like okay I can deal with the like Blumhouse-ness of it it is interesting that it's the mostly the 15 minutes of horror that's in this movie I was about to say two hour fucking movie I was about to say it li- it, probably if you combined all of the like horrific parts it's, yeah. it's 15 minutes right I think that that's I, probably pretty close. accurate yes. because a lot of it no, is no I keep tabs yeah, a lot of it's about um, Laura Linney and her trying to um, climb up to the top of her firm. Yeah. By representing yeah, which this guy. Which is such guy. a boring fucking story to me. I yeah. hate courtroom dramas. Okay, I like courtroom dramas because they're just ridiculous. Like, I have a few, or I've had a few friends in the past who were either studying law or were on well on their way to being successful lawyers. And... They love courtroom dramas because, again, how just how like ridiculous they are. Like they kind of told me like th- they would kind of break it down and be like, "This is not what happens." Yeah, not no. like, but it's fun. It's kind of like it, it's what makes a made a lot of people who are law- lawyers today want to be lawyers because sure. of like being badass and like just being so like El Woods about it. <laughs> and especially with Laura Linney being the lawyer or one of the lawyers in this just sure i just love her i'm sorry she can do no wrong in my book yeah no i thought she gave a very good performance in this as did tom wilkinson i really enjoyed their performance in this but i mean fuck if you're giving me a horror movie don't don't hoodwink me yeah don't give me 10 to 15 minutes of horror and like all that bullshit with the a story well actually we should probably say a few things before (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We should. So, you know what it is. We're here with the horror babes. We're going to do a little different structure this time. We're going to do a little more. If you listen to our Annihilation episode, it'll be a little closer in structure to that. It's going to be a big fancy term called Exegesis, where we kind of break down the plot and the theme at the same time. We're not going to just burn through the plot like I tend to uh, because of how tightly the themes are connected to specific plot points. And I have so, so much history and research to talk about. You've got like 10 pages of notes. Yeah. So that's why we're going to kind of give give you our opinion and analysis along with the plot. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we're going to go into like what really happened. Yeah. And we'll do a little production discussion as well. Yes, exactly. So 
without further ado, let's get into the motherfucking plot. Yeah, well, one more ado. True. Let's who who worked on this? Who movie? made this movie? Who made it? Who made this? So, co-written and directed by Scott Derrickson. He is this guy. He's a guy who's like really just given a lot of money and trusted to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. He also did the day the earth stood still, the Keanu Reeves remake, the Keanu Reeves remake okay. that came out uh, about 10, 12 years ago. Uh, he did Sinister with Jason Bloom from Bloomhouse, mm-hmm. another giant budget, and he did. Uh, deliver us from evil with jerry bruckheimer cool who only works in big budgets and big returns this guy prints money right doesn't print great movies don't like any of those that i just listed yeah but he did print money he also did dr strange which i enjoyed enough some people are just money machines you know he really is the other writer on this was paul harris boardman Mm -hmm. more known as like a pretty big hollywood script doctor Mm -hmm. he's and for those of you don't know script doctoring um it's halfway between writing and production there are really great script doctors who are from the writer side and there's really annoying script doctors who are from the producer side got it so an example of a good and famous script doctor from the writer's side would be Carrie Fisher, mm-hmm. our general in Princess Leia, mm-hmm. who spent most of her career after Star Wars. I mean, she was starring in things here and there, but mostly in side roles. What she really did was write and script doctor. She punched up basically every major script from the 80s and 90s, mm-hmm. and a good few in the aughts as well. That's uh, Paul Harris Boardman is a producer first, writer second. Cool. So he he's the one who... Whenever you hear like a, a studio talking or like somebody talking about like, oh, the studio was so involved. Oh, they were so heavy handed in the rewrites yeah. and the script and all that. That's this guy. Got it. Got it. Got it. Not exactly him, but someone like him. Right. Uh, beyond that, we had Christopher Young on music, uh, which the music was something I did enjoy in this. It was pretty well done. It is pretty Bloomhousey. I was so scared. But... I didn't realize there was music. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But he uh, Christopher Young is like a, a well-known, well-trod horror composer mm-hmm. he did hellraiser species the grudge this drag me to hell sinister delivers from evil pet cemetery tight he, yeah so he's done a lot of things he also did the score for spider-man 3 you know he's a well-trod hollywood composer he does his job very well and this is sort of what i'm getting at and we'll talk more about this in production side but this is sort of a well-oiled machine of studio money got you other than that, uh, finally, I guess finally we had uh, the cinematographer is Tom Stern, mm-hmm. best known as Clint Eastwood's cinematographer. Okay, basically, it's been his entire career doing that. He started working in two thousand two, and after that, he's worked on ever almost every Eastwood project, and a couple of uh, Scott Derrickson's. Gotcha. So, starring in this movie, we've already mentioned Laura Lenny and Tom Wilkinson. We also had Campbell Scott. Uh, Colin Fior and Jennifer Carpenter as the uh, as the title character as Emily, Rose. yeah. Mm-hmm. Which can we talk about how she is like she has the perfect look to be in a horror film? Like she, oh, yeah. she was kind of like she was the person who really embodied like what I guess like a scream queen or like. Well, just, she became one after this. Yeah, she did, and it's the big eyes. That are a little like oh, far yeah, apart. The doe eyes, just like yeah. slightly askew face. Yeah, and I mean that like she's gorgeous. I mean, she this looks in, like Allison like, Williams, doesn't she? Yeah, she kind of does. But yeah, we. Uh, I feel like I feel like she's kind of she she kind of has that Anya Taylor Joy. 
face yeah. too. Like like they look very similar to me with mm-hmm. like the big eyes and the Yeah, I mean Anya Taylor Joy's got like that big heart shaped round face. Yeah, they have different face shapes for sure. But, but the like the same idea of like that oversized like They give me like the same vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a weird doll thing. And I just remember being like, Yep, that's that's an actor who belongs in a horror film and then Jane Levy's kind of in that same vein. Do you think they're all modeled after Jamie Lee Curtis? Because she has the kind of oversized eyes, Maybe. the long straight nose. Maybe. A, like hot but not hot but simple is what i'll say yeah like uh, hot in a plain way yeah that's what i just said (laughs) yeah yeah sorry i I was yeah i was trying to think through it that's that's exactly what you just said and i'm just an idiot yeah not that we should be analyzing people's looks but that's like in that way we don't we aren't doing that it's It's kind of like a it's kind of like a trope exactly in the same way that all the superhero boys are buff or whatever and named chris Chris somehow what (laughs) yeah it's it for the men it's that square jaw little dimple in the chin Mm -hmm. block headed a little bit yeah brick body yeah and then except for chris pine who's like buff oh and um um fuck what's her name and shelly duvall yeah i i wonder who's the prototype like is it her or is it jamie who came first yeah who came because she because shelly duvall has the perfect scream queen like just looks like the fucking painting where it's like the edward munch uh-huh yeah i'm doing it right now you guys can't see it but it looks <laughs> we always forget this amazing. is simply audio not video i look great you do um <laughs> I'm it's funny fun. yeah because she's definitely someone that i would put past the category of the hot but simple because i think that shelly duvall is kind of weird looking just like not she's attractive definitely, she's definitely hasn't she looks like steve buscemi Oh shit! Yeah, are they related? They might be related. <laughs> oh my god, Steve Buscemi for the next Scream Queen. Oh, I would love it. I would love to see Steve Buscemi in a horror in a horror film. He's been in a couple, but usually is like the antagonist, or sometimes like playing a cop in one. But I, I would want love him to, to see him protagonist for sure. Yeah, that's what I want. I would watch the shit out of that. Someone get listeners. We love you, and we really, really need you to give me Steve Buscemi's phone number. Yeah, if anyone has it, I need to know. It is um, your duty as an American and as a listener of this podcast, or if you're not American, because yeah. we do have one listener in the UK. Shout out to you, whoever you are. Yeah. If you have listening. Steve Buscemi's number, I'm assuming your name is like Harry or William. Oh my God. Wait, are those the princes? Those are the princes. Those are the princes. Now I can't get the spin doctor out of my head because I have two princes who would. Yep. Okay. Wow. We're spiraling. Yeah. Help. <laughs> let's just let's go into plot someone exercise me i've been possessed by a plot or by a pop culture demon i've been possessed by steve buscemi Ooh. yeah so i'm just gonna be become like super famous and go be in the wedding singer that, that, that of course is where you go with it <laughs> i love the wedding singer you love it's my favorite the, movie. you love the wedding singer <laughs> you're gonna leave glenn for the wedding singer God. Okay, anyway, um, this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, what happens first? What ha- happened? What ha- happened was is they what made the movie for $19 million, and then they made $145 million, and that's just absurd to me. Money making. For a very bad movie. Oh, that's the last thing I wanted to say. Up top, well, ish, we usually bring in movies we really enjoyed because it's boring and bad journalism, or bad critical it is not charitable to bring in a project just to dunk on it uh we typically don't like to bring in movies that we did not personally enjoy yeah not not because like 
we want to talk about we, we're not being selfish here we don't want to just talk about things we enjoy or just watch things that we know we're going to enjoy it's more that we don't want to it's not charitable at all to just bring in something to dunk on it like i said like it's just it's it's a it's no, kind of we a, don't. It's, a, it's low. We don't think that you guys want to listen to us being negative for an hour and a half. Yeah, um, and we don't want to be negative for an hour and a half. Or no, however long. But but, so, but sometimes we have films that inspire an episode for one reason or another, and sometimes that means that we didn't particularly like them, or if it is just a famous movie that everyone is talking mm-hmm. about that has just come out, and we watch it and we don't like it, we're gonna express our opinion about that. Yeah, so. Yeah, we don't we don't mean to be negative, but neither of us like this movie, but for very different reasons. For me, it just scares the shit out of me, and I would be so happy never seeing it again in my life. Good thing we're doing the episode now. You ever now you never have. I to. never have to, and I never will. <laughs> High five! All right. So that said, let's dive in. Plot. So, so we kick off the movie inside a bar. For no, no, no. We kick off the movie at a like spooky scary farm. A medical examiner has come to this spooky scary farm to check on a young Emily Rose who has just died and ascertain whether or not she died of natural causes. Tom Wilkinson is there, he's in a priest collar, there's the family, they're all crying and sad and the house looks like shit. The medical examiner comes back down, horrified look on his face and says that he can't be sure that she died of natural causes and Tom Wilkinson's arrested. We immediately cut to a bar when that's where the courtroom drama starts and I was so thrown. Yep. (laughs) With Laura Linney drinking angry martinis. Which we learned is a martini stirred with a pepper, right? Well, it's just a, it's a, it's a martini with a pepper garnish, hot pepper garnish. So does it, is it spicy? Mm, Never had one. Guess what we're making tonight. Uh Uh-oh. So, oh, yeah, so we we have the district attorneys are like, oh, we need to get someone strong on this case, but they have to be a religious man, hopefully a Catholic. They get a guy who's a Methodist who basically lives in the church is what they say. When he's not in the courtroom, he's in the church. We get Aaron Bruner, that's Laura Lenny, mm-hmm. as the young-ish hotshot working her way up the ladder attorney, like real shark of an attorney, mm-hmm. as the defense lawyer for the priest. Because she's just gotten off a guy. That doesn't sound right. She has oh. <laughs> just secured a, a not guilty verdict for a, like, a, seems like essentially a serial killer. Yeah. And so she's like, she's the hot shot, right? She's feeling herself, yeah. And so is everybody else. Yeah. So that sets up our courtroom drama. Mm-hmm. I'm already so bored. <laughs> and I'm loving it. That's the only part of the uh. movie I like. <laughs> So basically, the we've got the A story and the B story here. Mm-hmm. The A story is going to be the courtroom drama because why not? It's a horror movie. Why not have the entire thing set inside a courtroom where nothing scary happens? And the B story is the actual story of Emily, or the story as we as retold by the the witnesses, and, the, the various witnesses, the priest. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the story told by yeah. the various witnesses in the courtroom, and that's where we get the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. Essentially. Aaron, that's Laura Lenny, is supposed to convince Tom Wilkinson, the priest, uh, Father Moore, to take a plea bargain. He won't t- he won't do it because he wants to tell Emily's story in court. That yeah. is the only thing he cares about doing, and that's why he wants to go to trial. Mm-hmm. 
So she lets him and decides to build a defense based on proving that exorcism might be real and possession might be real. Yeah. The defense attorney, or the, sorry, the district attorney, on account of the people, wants to prove that Emily was sick, both epileptic and psychotic, Mm -hmm. and that the father failed in his duties as a caregiver and is being charged with negligent homicide. Mm Mm-hmm. Could not be more bored. See, and I'm living. I'm like, this is like long order. <laughs> Where's Mariska? <laughs> Ugh. Chris Maloney, I would have taken. I love Chris Maloney. You don't like Mariska Hargitay? Oh, she's fine. I like her a lot. I just prefer Christopher Maloney because he was in her. Wild American Summer humping a fridge. Okay, that's fair. But I did walk by Mariska Hargitay on the Upper West Side and she was on the phone. And right as I walked by, she was saying, It's okay, sweetie. You did the best you could. You did everything you could have. And I was like, oh, my God. That's very supportive. Right? I was like, I've been blessed That's by nice. Mariska Hargitay. It was an amazing Is this moment. Is she was talking to you? I felt like she was. I do, too. Yeah. I'm going to take that. <sighs> Back to this movie. <laughs> so... Basically, yeah. I mean, that that's that's the, the setup for the plot. Uh, we find out that Emily was very excited to go off to college and become a teacher. She was doing okay, and then she was finally alone for the first time in her dorm room and woke up at 3 a.m., smelled something burning, and called her called her mother and her their family physician mm-hmm. to find out what was going on with her. She was terrified bare feet in like the rain in her nightgown by a payphone yeah she's then referred to the, do- the college's doctor and he diagnoses her with epilepsy and gives her this drug gambutrol yeah because she we, starts taking because we see uh, it's like the first time she starts having like convulsions and we get the right. really creepy like bed sinking in yes and then it looks like something's choking her but you obviously right. can't see it and she's trying to resist it mm-hmm. and yeah it's the first really scary moment (laughs) yeah we also get an account from her maybe boyfriend jason at least someone who was trying to date her he wanted to be around her exactly the most we know he sees her freak out and like sprint into a church in the the chat the college chapel in Mm -hmm. the rain and stand reaching out at a crucifix while she bends in half backwards yeah has another seizure on the floor yeah, and this is this is after she was in the hospital and had another episode. Yes. Um and and he 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 says to uh Laura Linney a little bit later um that Emily felt like they were able to overtake her in the hospital mm-hmm. and that that's actually when she became possessed that she was able to resist right. them in her dorm room but in the hospital she was helpless. Exactly. In the A story this is all sort of, I guess this is all sort of combined because this is just all witness testimony giving the B story. Yeah. But in the A story Aaron Bruner Laura Lenny has started experiencing similar things to what Emily was experiencing. She's waking up at 3 a.m. she's smelling things burning burning. She's smelling things burning. And this She's is after, unable to, yeah. after the priest, yeah, after the priest has warned her. Mm-hmm. And which, by the way, he literally says when she sits down in the cell with him, maybe I should have told you this before you took the case. Bitch, maybe. Yeah. Dark forces are at work here and they will try to stop you. Yeah. You'll be under attack. Yeah. And then, lo and behold, she starts, yeah, waking up at 3 a.m., smelling shit burning, and, like, her power goes out, Mm -hmm. and, yeah. Mm -mm. Y'all can't see how hard I'm rolling my eyes, but I hope you can feel it. See, and I'm having heart palpitations, so it's (laughs) fine. This is a rare movie that we really disagree on, whether or not it is effective, too. 
It scares the shit out of me. Anyhow, so Emily eventually leaves college and oh and we see like Aaron like she says she's an agnostic in the beginning mm-hmm. and says she's not sure and the do- the father is like oh well if you're not sure then you are it's like that uh, the the way that you and I view this movie it's like that I feel like it's it's that Joni Mitchell song that that lyric um in case of you it's like <laughs> I'm frightened by the devil and I'm drawn to those ones that ain't afraid <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're on complete opposite sides of course here. you could tie this back to Joni Mitchell have a big lesbian crush on her. <laughs> Fair. She also would have made a good scream queen. Those cheekbones, honey. Mm-hmm. Those cheekbones. Impressive. I want to nestle inside them. I mean, you could form a whole nest inside them. You just like she lays on her side. You just bring a bunch of twigs. That's you what I'm just, like, ha- Raise a whole family. Are we? In this situation, we're birds. Yeah, I was gonna say what. <laughs> if you're a bird, I'm a bird. That's a Nicholas Sparks throwback. Which is also a walk to remember, written yeah, by Nicholas see, Sparks. I'm, it's a film, I'm a better writer than anyone who touched this movie. All films inform each other. That's really <laughs> what I'm saying. Intertextuality. <laughs> Good lord. Oh, you're going to have fun editing this one. It's going to be a rough one. <laughs> so Emily is, believes she's possessed, and she ends up leaving the university to go home because she can no longer complete her studies. Uh, we see her have her panic yeah in the middle of a class and she sees demons on the faces of everyone she sees demons in the clouds during thunderstorms she sees you know all of this shit yeah so she goes back home because she doesn't feel capable of completing her studies she's still taking her gambutrol the anti-epileptic uh medication or anti-seizure medication and she starts seeing another physician dr chamberlain Mm -hmm. who was there alongside that's a big reveal but it's not it's like stupid it doesn't feel like a big reveal father moore starts taking care of her as the exorcist yes uh he gets permission from the archbishop to perform an exorcism goes home that night and he has this tense terrifying experience with a black hooded figure Mm. and feels the same sort of possession-y attempts that were happening to Emily. Sort of the same thing she's described. Then he goes to perform the exorcism on Halloween because that's when the spirit and... There's more activity is what they say. Yeah, and like there's a traditional idea that the spirit realm and the physical realm overlap on that night. Well, and they also reveal the importance of the 3 a.m. Right. Apparently it's the direct mirror of 3 p.m., obviously, but that's when... Jesus died was it right. around 3 p.m. so they they that's how they justify the 3 a.m. the 3 a.m. is the witching hour is is um, because it's the inverse of 3 p.m. which is when Jesus apparently died on the cross and it's mocking the Trinity because of the number three exactly so everybody consents the exorcism uh, more Father Moore is there Emily's dad is there her n- not boyfriend is there. And the doctor is there. Which, wow, he really wanted to be with her. God, I just, you couldn't he pay is me. such a piner. Do you want to come and see an exorcism? Bitch, no. Low-key, yes. No, I don't want to be in there. So, in the meantime, Aaron has been create like trying to craft this defense about maybe, just maybe, mysticism and exorcisms and spiritual forces and demons are mm. all, and possessions are all real. Yeah. Uh, she brings in an actor who I really love. Well, I, I she's this woman has an amazing voice. Oh yeah, yeah. So, she has a really fun voice. Shorag Dashlu. Uh huh. She 
I was telling you, like, I remember her voice, and I was trying to think, like, oh, yeah, you and I were just watching something together. It's like, oh, no, it was because I was playing Mass Effect, and she yeah. was a character in the second and third games of that series. It is a very familiar voice. It's great. Yes. And it's very, it's it's a, yeah, she has a great voice, and she does a really good job pl- uh, playing this anthropologist, you know, doctor of anthropology. Yeah. Who is trying to convince the court that exorcisms and possession may, in fact, be real. Yes. In the meantime, yeah, they're the... DA is trying to press that no 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 this is all physical this is all explanation I'm a man of faith but this is all there's a medical explanation for all of this and if there is a medical explanation for all of this then he's a guilty man Mm -hmm. so that's the back and forth in the A story Mm -hmm. yeah so Graham Cartwright that's the doctor who was at present at the exorcism well we see I guess we see the exorcism and it's a horrifying experience for all involved Emily attacks both the father Moore and her own literal father. Mm-hmm. Uh, she scares a horse that kicks her dad. How somehow he survives being kicked by a horse and is still a functional human being after you, you missed you missed when she just yeets herself out the window. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, she just straight <laughs> up yeets herself out a window. It's pretty funny. It's like cannibal. <laughs> it's great. She looks at his holy water dispenser and goes, "That bitch is empty." Yeet. And then runs to the barn, and then her dad yes. gets kicked by a horse and inexplicably survives. The father finally gets her to name. He thinks it's one demon. She says it's six, because she keeps counting to six. Yes. And she does it in threes, so it's six, six, six. This movie's so heavy-handed. It's still scary. And she names the six demons, eventually names the six demons inside of her. The one who possessed Cain, or the one who was with Cain, the one who was with Judas Iscariot, the one who was with Nero. Yeah. The one who was with... Those are the three that are factual. I don't remember the others that that she says in the movie, but they're right. not factual. There are three yeah. that who it's based on right. claimed. So she says, I am the one who was with Cain. I am the one who was with Nero. I am the one who was with Judas. I am the one who was with Legion. I was with Belalal. Uh, and I was with... And I am Lucifer. Yes. And so she names all these sort of like famous possessions or... They're, or, or, you know, possession, possession adjacent sort of things. Yeah. And says that those are the six demons inside of her. We're hearing all of this on this cassette tape that Dr. Cartwright has given to the doctor who was at the, who was at the exorcism, mm-hmm. has given to Aaron as evidence. She and the priest are talking about it. And then we find out that Dr. Cartwright isn't going to show. Yeah. He is, he was not going to testify. Then he was going to testify. Now he's not going to testify again. And it's unclear why, but he seems very, very scared. Yeah, it's it seems it, you can tell that he's really fucked up from what he saw. Yeah, so they call a recess on the court. He's out back of the court. Aaron goes and sees him. They're in like an alleyway. Yeah, it's like behind over, the courtroom or, yeah. or courthouse or something. Uh, and yeah. he looks over her shoulder and like is staring and she looks back and she turns around and then a car just hits him at like yeah, 40 this, miles an hour. This part was kind of, it takes you out of the whole thing. Yeah. Like I. Because what car's going 40 miles an hour at a wall? Because we see the wall to their right. Yeah. They're going 40 miles an hour and hits this dude who's standing in an alley. Which I guess what they're getting at, but not successfully, is um, like maybe there is like uh, demons at work oh, it's here. it's for sure what they're trying to do. Or, but it, it kind of takes you out of the whole thing. Like, this is the one thing that I'm like, yeah, I'm not really afraid of that. Like, maybe demons uh, briefly possessed whoever this driver was mm-hmm. and caused them to hit this man. 
but it's just a shout out to the omen and a terrible one yeah yeah it's it's not super successful it's not clever it's not you know it's the one thing that i can kind of say that like completely takes me out of it completely so despite this the trial has to continue and aaron has to redirect she's told by the the partner in her firm that she's going to be fired if she lets father Moore take the stand again Mm -hmm. she does he gets up and leaves the the partner gets up and leaves the courtroom and father Moore tells the rest of his story yeah so father Moore had received a letter from emily the night before she died she had written it the day after the exorcism but he didn't get it until like a month later or something like that so no one was sure why there were not there was never a second attempt made for the exorcism and he reveals that it's because they have to have the consent of the yes part of the afflicted and she refused to give it. And so apparently because she, in the at 3 a.m. that night, had gone off, or like in the middle of the night at some time, we assume 3 a.m., I guess, right? Yeah. Had gone off to, like, walked out into this field near her family's house, and that's where we get the, the poster for it. And then we get this really nice shot, because it's all kind of like an out-of-physical-body experience. Right. We see her tortured physical body on the ground, and then we see... And it's got this, like, very um, 70s, like, cult, 60s, 70s cult oh, film, sure. like, yeah. filter on it, sort mm-hmm. of. And it's it's beautiful. Uh, I could definitely see it in, like, a William Friedkin or, Yeah. Like, it's arguably yeah. out of place for this entire movie, but, like... Very. Maybe not arguably, definitely. Um, but it's pretty. It's the only competent filmmaking. Yeah. And then, so, her, her spirit which looks like she did at the beginning of the film, Mm -hmm. um, is there in front of what she claims to be uh, the Virgin Mary herself. Accurate. And Virgin Mary is telling her, you you can remain in your body and, you know, teach people and suffer greatly, but, like, teach people about, be, like, a learning lesson about, like, demons and possession and all of this. That the spirit world is real. That the spirit world is real. Or you can come with me now and leave this earth as you know it or whatever and she decides to stay Mm -hmm. um and then there's this shot of her kind of tumbling back into her body yeah like she kind of falls back dragged back into it yeah 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 and this makes father Moore say that she he believes that one day she will be recognized as a saint Mm -hmm. uh and says she then received the stigmata yes of course the defense or the the district attorney says well that's clearly just self-inflicted wounds because she has a habit sure she had shown a pattern of self-harm right after uh her supposed epileptic psychotic events began happening and that she would have harmed herself by grabbing the barbed wire on the family's farm right to give her like that somebody i I was surprised they didn't push this point Mm -hmm. that someone so deeply religious would know what stigmata were yeah and of course would inflict herself with those. Yeah. If this is what she believed she was going through. Because mm-hmm. that seems like a really, another another missed opportunity to do, make a good movie. Yeah. So at this point, this is the end of Father Moore's speech. We get the closing statements. The DA keeps saying the same thing of like, look, he like pu- he pulls up the postmortem photo of her again. It's all blown up and puts it in front of the jury and says, look. This man is guilty. This man did this to this woman, mm-hmm. or at least allowed it, allowed her to do it to herself. Yeah, it was like no devil did this or whatever. Right. Yeah. And Aaron now fully turned around from her agnostic state. Yeah. And believes in angels and demons. She gives this big impassioned speech about how it might be true, 
it's possible. Mm-hmm. And the jury decides that Father Moore is guilty, but that he should only... That, but that he doesn't need to go to jail. He They, they put his time sentence served. as time served. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's it. well, Laura Linney oh, gets yeah. the promotion but says keep it. Right. So she doesn't end up even taking it. And that's the end of the movie. That's yeah. the last we know. Um, there is a little uh, couple cards just saying, like, you know, what uh, inspired this movie. And it was apparently a lot of it came from Aaron, Aaron Brunner's notes from the trial. And that's what inspired this movie. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it says at the um, end anyway. So, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. They, they're at his grave. They're at her grave. And they oh, read yeah, her yeah, yeah. epitaph. And she asks, oh, who chose the epitaph? And Father Moore says, I did. Uh, it's from the second chapter of the, Phil- of the Philippines, verse 12. Emily recited it to me the night before she died. That's right. And the epitaph reads, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Yeah. Which we can get into. Yeah. This is actually going to flex my philosophy degree on that one. Yeah. Um, so you, you wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the production. Of yeah, this. we should get that out of the way because it's a, probably the least interesting part of this, but it's what I'm useful on because you did so much research for this. I want to give you plenty of time to just go on that. Yeah, I was about to say once I once I get going, there's going to be a lot. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk about why this is not a successful movie mm-hmm. as a horror fan. Right. Yeah. And I, I this is gonna I'm gonna be, do my best not to sound like I'm gatekeeping, but it's gonna be hard. So. I do believe that horror is for the people. It right. is like all all film, all art is for the people and should be accessible to everyone. Mm-hmm. That being said, this is a hundred percent what I would call absolute schlock. Mm-hmm. This is a garbage movie. Okay. And the reason why is because it's fourteen different things, mm-hmm. and the the broad reasons why is that it's fourteen different things, and that it's not what it promises to be. Right. It's a it's a fucking lie. It's a Trojan horse of a film. Yeah. Right. So one thing I can't stand, and you will hear every other independent filmmaker say the same thing, is studio interference. We've been seeing, and this has become a huge topic of conversation lately because mm-hmm. of a certain mega corporate conglomerate mm-hmm. who I will not name because I do want to work in the industry, yeah. but controls certain major four-quadrant movies. So... We've seen this mega conglomerate, international corporation, hire auteur and indie directors to do a lot of their movies and then refuse to let them make those movies. Yeah. Um, There's a great piece called Let Directors Direct that Mm -hmm. came out a number of years ago in the middle of all of this. Mm -hmm. But basically, you've seen directors like Ryan Johnson and... Uh, Edgar Wright and Gareth Edwards be told "Mm, but you don't get to do your thing you get to do our thing yeah so this is what I feel about so this is a little bit this is that is a related but a little bit tangential point to the point that I really want to get to which is when studios make movies they make bad movies right they don't make anything remotely close to god I'm gonna like such a fucking asshole art Mm-hmm. What they make is a roller coaster, a haunted house. They yeah. make this movie. They yeah. make fucking uh, uh, The Conjuring. Mm-hmm. Things that are designed to pop up, scare, be yeah. done. Pop up, scare, be done. Pop up, scare, be done. Or they make a fucking courtroom drama. Yeah. That I did not ask for. Yeah. What this movie does 
is say, oh no, it's a horror movie, but just barely, just barely. You can make it through five minutes at a time, only 15 minutes Bullshit. total. <laughs> yeah, but the, the idea is that they're couching the horror movie in something bigger so that they can sell it and make $150 million. That you makes know? sense. You, I mean, you make a valid point. Um, what they've done is not make a horror movie. They've made a horror short that I might actually find interesting. There's enough decent work in the horror parts of this movie that you could make a really good movie out of. Right. And I understand wanting to frame your horror movie a little different way. You want to, you want to do something a little bit different. And I can understand f- having a frame story in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. But it shouldn't be the majority of the movie, let alone the like I we said 60 to 75 percent in the beginning. Mm -hmm. It's 85 percent of the movie. Yeah. I mean, you've got two hours and 15 minutes of it is horror. Yeah. Most. Yeah. Because you can you can literally count on one hand how many times we see an instance with like with Emily Rose. Yeah. We see the opening the opening shot, Mm -hmm. the dorm room, the hospital slash chapel, the exorcism the out-of-body experience and that's it yeah it's literally five Five times yeah and each of those shots is about two to three minutes long Mm -hmm. that's not a it's barely a horror movie i can't say that it's not we're not doing horror not here yeah but it's barely a horror movie yeah and i that that infuriates me because you didn't make a horror movie you made a horror short and you just put it inside of a courtroom drama a competent enough courtroom drama sure but it's a very boring story in the courtroom i'm not surprised by any of the twists and turns i don't feel like i'm being you know engaged with as a viewer or a an audience member in any way i feel like i'm being lectured about why god is real and that's yeah. very boring to me because I, if I wanted that, I would go watch a Kirk Cameron movie. And I don't <laughs> watch Kirk Cameron movies because I don't behind. want that. I would watch Left Behind. I would watch God's Not Dead with Kevin Sorbo supposedly being a philosophy professor. And as someone who did teach philosophy, I was never a professor, but I did teach philosophy. Fuck that guy. Do you, <laughs> do, you think, do you think that the reason why maybe this was kind of like a soft exorcism movie, um, meaning it was a 15-minute exorcism mm-hmm. movie, encased in a courtroom drama do you think that was their way of playing it safe because of all of the backlash that the exorcist got yeah for sure and when i was talking about production writing as opposed mm-hmm. to writer writing that's what i mean yeah this is a studio looking out for its bottom line and wanting to cash in on the horror wave that was currently happening mm-hmm. this is 2005 right right before yes. this we'd had saw we'd had the grudge mm-hmm. we'd had the ring we had just had the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. We'd had Shaun of the Dead came out around this time. Yes. You had 28 Days Later came out before this. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of horror was having a moment. Yeah. Uh, the Descent was came out the same year. Mm-hmm. Like this was a big, big help. Antarctic Journal that we just talked about came out this year. There was a wave. Mm-hmm. And this is a studio cash in on a wave. But they don't know how to, studios don't know how to make good horror movies. Because good horror movies don't come from a room of, like a boardroom of executives. Yeah. They just don't. They can't. Those are bad movies. Look at fucking uh, uh, Jason versus Freddy or whatever. Yeah. Not a horror movie and very, very bad. But that is 100% a coked up boardroom of executives coming up with an idea for a horror movie. Yeah, no, I was about to say that just sounds like we could make a lot of money off of like the nerds that are going to go see this. Yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly what this is. It says, yeah, they showed you the entire horror movie in the fucking trailer. I remember watching the trailer for this in in theaters when I probably when I went to go see The Grudge or something like that or some other movie and they showed the trailer and I was freaked out in the trailer. For sure. 
watching this as a 30 year old i go really it was really? it was definitely easier for me to watch it i mean just as i've aged and <laughs> Fair. and you know watch just other things mm-hmm. and all of that but there's always going to be it, it's just something visceral for well, me when it hit you early like we we watched yeah. uh juon the original yeah. grudge mm-hmm. and that scared the shit out of me because the original, or not the original, the remake of The Grudge that yeah. I saw when I was 14 scared the shit out of me. Yeah. There's a terrible, terrible Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland horror movie. And I know that it's bad because I've gone back and rewatched it, but I mm. walked out in the middle. It scared me so bad. It's called uh, Mirrors. Yeah. And it scared the absolute hell out of me when I was 15, 16 years old, whenever it came out. Mm. And I went back and tried to rewatch it, did my whole thing like you did with Emily Rose. And I was like, oh. This still scares me, even though I recognize how bad it is. This is not a good, scary movie. Yeah. This is a bad movie. But you were affected early. Yeah. And I really honestly think that the reason it scares me so much is the physicality of it. Again. Yeah. Again, seeing a body do that. And then also just after, you know, like I've seen photos and of like real exorcisms. And it's it's also just like it's schoolyard talk. Sure. Like that's the thing, like along with like the Bloody Mary thing. Yeah. And along with like all like that is like some schoolyard talk. That's what kids, they talk about it because yeah. it's this like weird existential like yeah, topic. It's and it's really easy to scare people. Have you ever done the Bloody Mary ritual? Mm -hmm. I've not because it scares me so bad. Because when I was seven years old and someone said their sisters, siblings, brothers, cousins did it. Oh, yeah. There's always someone like that girl in the neighborhood did it. And she woke up like this, like this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I did it. I did it once because, again, this is how I, I like view fear. I kind of just I'm like, well, I can either spend a lot of time being afraid of this. Or I can, like, try to confront it and maybe the fear will go away. Or I'll just fuck myself up for life. Well, you know, it's a gamble. Deadass. Um, life is short. But I do... I. I don't I don't remember the specifics of the of the Bloody Mary ritual, but I do know it involves, like, saying the name three times in the mirror. Mm-hmm. After midnight. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember, but, but... How do demons tell time? Do know. they respect time zones? Are they on Vatican time? See, that's the whole thing that messes it all up, right? Love doing that. Everything, that's what I'm here yeah, for. everything that we've ever, you know, um, it, it just like throws a wrench in it. But, uh, but yeah, if, I, if the witching hour on in New York is like eleven o'clock in, LA, in California, it's yeah. like three hours behind. Or yeah, it's midnight in LA. Yeah, are they on Eastern or Central? Yeah, <laughs> um, again, are they on Vatican time? Mountain GMT Navajo. I hey. don't know, but. I think honestly, what just really gets me is the physicality. And that's fair. And, and I also think she like, did a great job in this. Uh, Jennifer Carpenter, right? Oh yeah, yeah I was, she did a great job. I was in very this. impressed with her performance in this. And yeah, I think. And and again, I think it's just one of those things that it's plausible enough mm-hmm. that if you are young enough and you're 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 susceptible to yeah. believe that this could happen because the very mundane things that happen in this movie like waking up at a specific time mm-hmm. think you can convince yourself you're smelling something right for sure you're like wait is this happening like maybe she's having a stroke yeah and and just like the there are a couple jump scares in this as well like mm-hmm. um i remember i was really terrified of the scene where um she's having it's one of her first um episodes and she's completely still in her contorted um, 
position. Yeah. And then there's the jump scare where she kind of like turns and screams or something. Yeah. That still to this day scares me. And it's just that. It's that sort mm. of just visceral like, oh, my God. You know, and the right. fact that she went downhill so fast. I've seen, you know, like photos from post exorcisms and just like it's really it's the gaunt look in the face and yeah. it's the dark circles and like around the entire eye it's not even like it doesn't even look like you haven't eaten or drank anything for a while no. it looks like you've been doing hard drugs your whole life i mean anorexia will do that to you yeah no that's definitely true as well um and also uh, apparently in the in the like this is factual that um people with epilepsy or you know are arguably possessed by demons whatever right they break several bones yes during um during their convulsions right. so that's also terrifying mm-hmm. you're no. you, you don't have control and for a control freak like me that's scary <laughs> i uh i i definitely am with you i was scared of possession movies for a very long time and i guess the grudge is technically a, it's a haunting possession movie yeah, it definitely dips its toes in both. And, you know, I one of my favorite movies of all time is The Exorcist, which is another poss- possession movie, mm-hmm. a much more competent one, and actually a horror movie all the way through. But Did you ever get caught, um, and this is for all of all of our listeners who are in our age bracket yeah. when the when the internet really became a thing mm-hmm. and like all those joke sites. Did you ever get caught with like someone sending you a link like watch this video and it's like a video of like a still thing and then all of a sudden a like eardrum shattering sound happens and it's yes. just Linda oh Blair. My God. Yeah. Did the, you ever get caught? I got caught with one of those the, once. Yeah, the Linda Linda Blair scream videos for sure. I it, got a couple of those. <laughs> the funniest one I got and then we'll get back to actually talking about things that are that matter. This is, is fun though. It's relatable. Yeah, I had this <laughs> friend uh growing up who would always do that shit like he, he was my first rick roll and everything like that yeah rick roll <laughs> yeah. which is where this all began like rick roll was the most famous one but this was all in the same category definitely but one time he sent me a link over aim and mm-hmm. he had figured out how to disguise links mm-hmm. so you couldn't see what the website was called oh and i also learned how to do that because of this i think i knew how to do that too because mm-hmm. you could rename the hyperlink basically yes yeah. yes we all learned how to code HTML very young because it was just a thing. Zanga. I used to make I used to make Zanga um, themes. Good God. Oh yeah. I definitely coded my entire MySpace page. It was horrendous. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this guy I won't name him, but he he definitely doesn't listen to this podcast. He sent me this link, and it was like the last time he got me. But it was a link to basically a. Not basically. It was a gay porn video. Like this mm. dude just getting railed. Jesus Christ. Right up the street. <laughs> and I like clicked it and saw it. And I was like, eh, and then closed it. Because obviously you just don't want to get caught looking at any pornography on your parents' computer. Of course. Because yeah. you have to explain like, oh, I didn't know it was a thing. And then they don't and believe you. And then they don't you, believe and you. And, and it's a whole thing. Whole thing and yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they tell grandma and it's, oh. So what happened was that I, I saw it and I clicked it. And I was like. You know, he had to have spent a lot more time on this site than I did because he at least had to like copy the link, yeah. get there, and it's like because the whole the whole joke that he wanted to make is like, oh, you're gay now because you watch gay porn, and which you know, that's a very that wasn't what turned me, but <laughs> that's a that's a very middle school joke. <laughs> yeah, but I ended up realizing, and I used to I gave him so much shit for it, and it's what stopped him doing this to me because I was like, you know, you spent way more time on that site than I did. No, it's real. If I'm gay for looking at it for half a second. 
then you're um, mega gay. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, Turns out both of us were wrong. All right. So, so yeah, I guess the last few things I have to say about the production of this is that, like, you know, I've talked about, like, everybody showing up and doing their damn job, and I've always said that is a good thing. This is when I think it's a bad thing. Yeah. I, you know, I'm happy for all these people who got work and everything, but when I talk about, like, it's a well-oiled studio machine, yeah. bringing in a guy who has scored half the fucking horror movies that came out in the last 20 years before this, yeah. bringing in a guy who shoots all of Clint Eastwood's movies, bringing in this dude who's a producer first, a writer second, and a director third, you know, like, or even, sorry, scratch that reverse, or it's a producer first, director second, writer third, mm-hmm. and a guy who's a producer, producer, writer, like, it, it's what I mean when I say, like, that well-oiled studio machine. It you feels like ver- a factory. You bring in very, con- yeah. exactly, it's yeah. exactly a factory. It's a and clock, it is, a factory, whatever. It is missing that, like, I, I kind of hate this term, but it's just for lack of a better one, it's it is missing that like X factor or like heart. To yeah, it. there's like, zero there's heart not... to this film. No one cared that they were there. Yeah, it was a paycheck for everyone. Mm-hmm. Now you have very competent people who can still phone it in for mm-hmm. a paycheck and do a great job. Laura Laura Lenny, Tom Wilkinson, and Jennifer Carpenter are all three those people. Very yeah. very competent from the three of them. Yeah, but you know it's it's one of those things of like i would if one of my friends got this gig i would be so stoked for them if i got this gig i'd be so stoked for me yeah but i would hate it well, but it would be a great paycheck and a good way to network and all those things so for in terms of like crew and and like smaller members of the cast like say smaller members of the cast you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think it's a great thing well, for everybody else like, it's just like print that money well and coming from um an actor's standpoint it's really easy to play a lawyer it's all be you, the easiest thing in the world. It's really, especially lawyers with no personal backstory. We have a small one for Laura Linney's character, but it's not enough to inform us of... What is there feels inconsistent. Like, like it's very easy to play a successful woman trying to climb up the ladder at a law firm because to be a, to, to be a lawyer, I mean... You just have to have a way of speaking, and Laura Linney kind of already has that naturally. Yeah, she for she sure has does. a very like she uh, calls attention, like she mm-hmm. she just kind of has that presence. So great casting. Yes, but I I agree with like the you could phone this in, and same with Tom Wilkinson playing yeah the priest. exactly yeah that's the easiest priest to play. This is I'm I'm going to keep bringing up The Exorcist because it's a much mm-hmm. better version of this movie. Yeah, the both the priests in The Exorcist are flawed individuals they swear they drink one of them's a dr- an actual just drunk but what matters it, it makes that punch of like but we're still men of god well it informs matter. you there's nothing really in in this movie that informs you um of of that priest's character other than he's being tried for something yeah you know like we don't know really anything about him personally no and i guess you don't need to but it but again it's not it, like he's not grappling with anything other than like I want to share her story because yeah. he's he's he said that he's accepted his fate. He just wants her story to be out there. So mm-hmm. that's all we know about him. He's just a one trick. Like he's a one note character. He's completely yeah. one dimensional. Laura Lenny has a little bit of a turn and barely makes it to two dimensions because she becomes a Christian by the end of it. Basically, yeah, a person of faith, I should say, yeah. by the end of it. Uh, no one else has an arc. Yeah. There's no arc in this. And this is that's the last thing I really I think I have to say about why mm-hmm. this is a bad movie. Yeah. Is that it's all 
it all looks like it's doing what it's supposed to do. It, all, it looks like a movie on the surface, but it's not. It's a money machine. And it's because yeah. there is no story. There's yeah. no story. Yeah. And like, I mean, for, for what there is of a plot, it's... It's you, the you start, easiest you, I guess way. you start and end in the same spot. Yeah, it's the easiest way to get through a plot is to just literally explain it through testimony. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like. Yeah, and that's the thing is that yeah, there's no there's, there's no real. It's not imaginative. No, no. This is this is the pitch for a movie, and yeah. then they just filmed the pitch. Yeah, it's someone literally spoon feeding you the story. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I, that's, that's a really great point that I, you know, I, I hadn't really analyzed it that way because I was too busy shitting myself. Um, <laughs> it was real smelly. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that is a very good point. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. And now that I'm older and able to actually analyze things in that way, instead of just, you know, be like, mm-hmm. you know, not thinking about that stuff. I think that's that's something that's something very interesting. Are we ready now yeah, to hear with, about the real hit shit? Me with this shit? Okay, because I as much as this movie scares me, the real and 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 like when something's like based on a true story, often it's writers taking a really really tiny thing and running with it, you mm-hmm. know, and just like be like expanding on it. The real thing's a lot scarier, and let me yeah, tell they you why. Drew this back a lot, right? Oh, yeah. They sugarcoated this girl's story. Mm-hmm. All right. So uh, her name is Annalise. Uh, I think it's Michelle, M-I-C-H-E-L. Mm-hmm. Michelle. Um, she was raised Catholic in West Germany, Bavaria, to be um, exact, um, in the 19... 19- Just like a BMW. Yeah. Catholic exactly. and in Bavaria. Oh, yeah. In the 1960s was okay. when she was growing up. Um, she went to college in uh, 1973, just to give you some you know, background. There are reports that she had, she suffered from like head, head trauma. Like she fell when she was a lot younger. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and suffered through that. And arguably that's what started all of this, but it was when she was much younger and she didn't actually start experiencing convulsions or anything or just weird situations until she was about 16. She completely blacked out at school and just kind of began walking around like in a dazed state. Um, she didn't remember it, but the the students who saw her said that she was, and the teachers said that she was in like a trance-like state, like you couldn't right. break her out of it. And then nothing else happened to her for like a year. But then she experienced something very similar where she woke up in a trance and had wet her bed. Sheesh. Yeah. Yeah. And makes sense. And and then after she had wet her bed, she went through convulsions, like a series okay. of convulsions. And so then that's when she saw a neurologist and was diagnosed with temporal lobe epilepsy, which the symptoms of that is seizures, loss of memory, and visual and auditory hallucinations in some cases. And it can, what I learned, because I knew about temporal lobe epilepsy, I've I've known someone with it, but what I did not know is that it can also cause uh, Geschwind syndrome, which is um, a disorder marked by hyper-religiosity. Which you remember in the the Vich when Caleb is yes, having like yeah, he's yeah, speaking yeah. all of that religious romantic text and stuff. Yeah, it was the, the that's actual, hyper yeah. um, hyper religiosity, and it kind of it, it can manifest itself in just 
excessive like compulsive like writing uh altered sexual behavior aggression and and just like anything like that and Mm -hmm. what what it seems like was happening to her was an ictal religiosity which is a type of ecstatic seizure that shows um such feelings of like joy or pleasure and it's it invokes like intense emotions of god's presence hallucinations of god's voice clairvoyance or even um telepathy that can even be like a part of it and so that really was i think without getting too scientific what the movie was trying to what the the other side the medical side was trying to say that she was experiencing yes um so that's where it kind of relates to the film um, so after she was diagnosed with that, she did start taking medication like she did in the movie. And then she went to college. So this all happened when she was about 16. Right. 16, 17 um, was when all of this went down. And then she went to college at the University of Würzburg in 1973. Cool, cool, cool. Symptoms got worse. And this is when she believed she was possessed by a demon. She claimed she saw the devil's face everywhere that she went, and she would hear demons telling her that she was damned or that she would rot in hell, which is depicted in the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then she decided to seek out priests to help her with this, an exorcism. And, but at first her requests were rejected. They wanted her to keep, they wanted her to keep seeking medical help. So the priests, the, like the, church didn't want to exercise her they wanted her to take a medical route correct okay and they kind of brushed it off otherwise they said like oh like you know go uh we want you to seek medical help but also we would have needed the permission from the bishop anyway so it kind of feels like they like brushed it off a little bit and this part i kind of found um funny during some of her episodes she would like rip off her shirt and would do up to 400 squats a day Damn. which like typical bro at the gym i guess yeah just getting those just getting small squats <laughs> yeah and she would during one of her episodes she crawled under a table and barked like a dog for two whole days sweet yeah pretty crazy she ate spiders and coal which is depicted in the movie mm-hmm. um she bit the head off a dead bird very ozzy osborne of her um and yeah totes metal and she licked her own urine from the floor got it super gross yes very sad for her so annalise's mother was like i'm done with this Mm -hmm. uh and finally found a priest that who believed in exorcisms his name was was arnold renz i believe who later stated in court that she didn't look like an epileptic to him 67 exorcisms were performed. Good God. All lasting up to four hours. Fuck. And through those sessions, this is when Annalise revealed that she was actually possessed by six demons, again, in the film. But Annalise claimed that her demons' names were Lucifer, Cain, Judas Iscariot, Adolf Hitler, Fleischmann, and Nero. Mm-hmm. Some in the movie, some not. Right. Um, some made up. So Another studio thing where they wouldn't want to put Hitler and Fleischmann in the... Probably, yeah. So apparently the demons would argue 
through Annalise Hitler saying, People are stupid as pigs. They think it's all over after death. It goes on. And Judas saying Hitler was nothing but a big mouth who had no real say in hell. She would frequently talk about Annalise Wood uh, dying to atone for the wayward youth of the day and the apostate priests of the modern church. So this is where they got the whole saint thing in the movie. Got it. That like, for for whatever reason, she felt like she was supposed to go through this, kind of in the way that Jesus sacrificed like the for trial the trial in the desert or being yeah, crucified. Yeah, she kind of got in her got in her head or you know uh the virgin mary herself like it is in the movie like told her that this is what's going on so this is this all is going on over about like 10 months less than a year Mm -hmm. and she's frequently restrained so that these exorcisms hopefully they did something a little um but more sturdy than than cloth like they did in the the movie already ripped cloth before she eats herself through a window yeah yeah it's kind of crazy but During this time, she stopped eating, which is also depicted in the film, and she eventually died basically of malnutrition and dehydration on July 1st, 1976. Jeez. Yeah. So she suffered for a while because if she started having these issues when she was 16, and then a year later, she had the second one. Yeah. 17. She goes off to college about 18. Mm -hmm. They just get worse. And if, if she died in 1976, then she was pretty much suffering for about three Three years consistently. And she didn't get exercised until 1975, it seems like. If it went on for 10 months, I would just guess. And the priest went to court and they were found found guilty of manslaughter, but they did end up serving six months, uh, which was later suspended. But in the movie, I think that they, you know, time served wasn't didn't even come up in the original trial well different legal systems too i mean exactly west germany as opposed to the u.s and then three years probation the parents were not convicted because they had quote suffered enough okay and that is pretty much mostly what happened to this poor girl there are there were beliefs that because of the time that the exorcist came out in germany that a lot of people thought she was faking it, that she was copying uh, Linda Blair. Right. Which, that would lead me to believe that there was another serious mental issue happening because all this shit that she went through, like, that that would have to be one hell of a performance. Like, I've yeah. listened... There are audio clips available online and on YouTube that you can listen to of her literal exorcisms. And... I just don't know who in their right mind would would put themselves through that. Yeah. To um, become famous or make a point or I, I like what is your motivation to yeah. do that? I mean, if if that is even a substantial theory, you right. know. I think I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I am not a neurologist. Or anything like that. No, we're just podcast hosts. Yeah. <laughs> but I think. There's it's something interesting to me about the claims she makes, mm-hmm. and I don't want to accuse her of faking it. I don't think anybody would fake that much. The the and I've listened to the clip as well. We could do you want to play it? I could see if we can play it over the over the mic. We'll see if it comes out. So, heads up, this is a horrifying sound, and it is not pleasant to listen to. But I think it's interesting and, and somewhat important to telling this this young woman's story. To kind of hear what she 
felt uh, and what she was. So you I got that ready for okay, us? Okay, I've got it. So that's, sorry about that. Yeah. Um, that's really horrifying, and I just, I just can't imagine someone actually faking all of this. I think that's a bum theory. Yeah. What I would say is that I think that there's this sort of delusions of grandeur situation going on. So to compare it to the Exorcist, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the demon in the Exorcist is, is Pazuzu, who was an ancient Assyrian demon mm-hmm. associated with the winds and all this stuff and all, all, all these other things, right? Yeah. She names probably six of the most famous things, like possessions or possession-adjacent situations, right? Yeah. Six of the most hated figures in history. Cain was the first murderer. Yeah. And committed, uh, uh, murders his own brother, right? Yes. Nero is supposedly who persecuted Christians, although that's very much up for debate. Yeah. Judas treason, right? Well, Judas betrayed Christ. Yeah. Which I've never understood why Christians hate him, because Christ had to die anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's like he should be a hero, right? But um, I don't know. Doesn't make sense to me. Hitler, enough said. Obvious reasons. Fleischmann, same. Yes. And the devil himself in Lucifer, or one of the faces of the devil, yeah, in Lucifer. So like, yeah. it is a little on the nose. Not to mention the whole "I am a saint. I was visited by Virgin Mary," et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It's those sorts of things where I think you, mean, you, you mentioned the hyper-religiosity, and I think that that certainly play, is uh, what's going on here. Like, mm-hmm. not that she was faking it, but rather that 100% this is not real. Yeah. In terms of a spirit situation. Yeah. There are no demons plaguing you. Yeah. But it makes sense. Like, here's, here's how I want to reason it out, right? If there were six demons inside of you, you this random girl in bumfuck nowhere west germany Mm -hmm. why would the six you know biggest so to speak in quotes be the ones inside you why wouldn't it be just some like lowly one it seems like one would have done the work yeah maybe a demon wants to make a name for himself well what what's interesting that they leave out in the movie is the hyper religiosity they don't Mm -hmm. they don't um explain that and so and i think that's definitely on purpose because Mm -hmm. it adds it's in the movie, it's very clearly epilepsy versus um, possessed. Yeah. But if they had gone deeper and said, like, well, if you're having, like, that it can, epileptic episodes can manifest in hyper-religiosity. Yeah. And w- which that would actually explain what she for was, sure. what was happening. Particularly for someone who was already very religious and devout. Yeah. And... I have a question about something and maybe maybe you have an answer maybe you don't but did you come up with or come across anything in your research that suggested anything like um like strong suggestion from her parents or the priest or or some sort of abuse mentally speaking that she was already in a weakened state and so they convinced her that she was possessed no but that's a very interesting point um i thought that was going to come up in the movie that would have also been a better version of this movie because yeah. they focus so much on the mother 
If the mother was like the mother from Carrie or something. Dropped, exactly. But yeah. she just drops off, you know, yeah. in the movie. No, she totally does. And it's very weird because you see her in the in, in court and she's not even shedding like a tear. No. Which, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to say that that's the only way of showing, you know, your remorse or emotion. No. But like, it is very weird. She gives kind of a stale performance in it. Um, and, and I don't and know if that was from... it gets written out halfway through. Exactly. Not even halfway through. Well, because in the original in the original trial, there weren't as many witnesses, obviously, as there is in the movie because the movie was sure. mainly in the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but the parents did testify in the original trial, which I couldn't find any record of what they said. Yeah. I think it was kind of just what the same thing the priest was saying because um, they. I don't think that they were present for the actual... 67 exorcisms that happened i do i just it's a thing that i wonder because i have seen this with people where they yeah i've I've mentioned a few times like going to like youth groups and stuff when i was younger trying to fit in and be cool and like all of that shit oh yeah the one that i would go to they would commonly like they were the hip young youth pastor from california and they like love burritos and paletas and like wanted to just hang out and be chill and everything was great and they liked radiohead but they would also then hit you with a i think we're in the end times i think demons are real and they're fighting over your soul and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> like damn bro i was just trying to talk about the band muse yeah and you said it was satanic yeah so it would it's that sort of thing where it's like i think that the hyper religiosity was only in my would have to guess right that it was only enhanced or pressed or yeah uh, manipulated yeah by this priest and her parents right and that's possible I didn't I didn't find any anything on that um, confirming or denying or speculating on that um, yeah I don't mean to editorialize too hard but no, no it's, it's a, having seen this it's an interesting point and I honestly was surprised um, at how when I say like how recently it happened mm-hmm when when I first saw this movie, I assumed that the person it was based on was, like, from the 1920s or something. Right. You know, or, like, even before that. But that it happened after The Exorcist came out. Yeah, I didn't... I That was actually a shocking point to me, mm-hmm. that it happened in the 70s. I thought it... I, Hell, she died the year The Omen came out. Yeah, yeah. Um, 76, right? Yes. So... Back to the movie briefly. Mm-hmm. I've read no professional reviews, but I have read some reviews from people of different religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. And I also want to—I want to say this uh, like up top: none of none of this reflects my personal religious beliefs. But I read from a Christian female that about the movie that uh, Christians should stay away from this movie. God. because they're so sensitive well so but actually brought up like a pseudo interesting fact and I'll, I'll just skip the I'll skip like kind of the review part because it's a little bit just like this isn't good for Christians to watch because it's like trying to prove that demons are real and I thought it was going to be about that God is ri- like all that but anyway two sides of the same coin if you ask me yeah well, in in uh, traditional faith, isn't it that the the dark has to exist for the light to exist? So Christians tend to not believe that because it. So I can get into this in theology real quick if you want to want me to. Yeah, I I do. Let me just finish this kind yeah, of finish note the thought and then I can because do. this might actually inform what you're going to say as well. But so she, this particular woman, brought up that in the, and this is her own theory, I guess in the 
in the Bible, it says that because Satan is viewed as like a trickster, mm-hmm. right? Like can yes. take on many forms. Right. So Much this, like Piwacket. Yeah. So she believes and it's and it's said in um, the Bible somewhere. I don't know the Bible well enough to tell you where um, or to quote it exactly. But apparently it says somewhere in the Bible that um, Satan can take on light forms. Mm-hmm. So Lucifer is a, is a is a light form traditionally considered. Yeah. yeah. So what she's saying is that when Emily in the movie goes to see the Virgin Mary, Mm -hmm. she thinks that that's actually Satan taking on a light form and is making her stay in her body by giving her this ultimatum that that Satan knows that she will she will try to stay and be a saint so that Mm -hmm. she can just be tortured further and just be damned and just be damned and die. So I, I was like, okay, lady. That, that actually is, like, kind of an interesting point. It is, yeah. So the cool theology behind it, right? Yeah, is, go for it. Shoot, I'm ready. So even though I'm a long time, we'll say, I'll use the word skeptic, of everything. Like, I, I don't I don't buy any of it, mm-hmm. whether, regardless of the culture it's from. Yeah. Down to, and I'm coming for you all, astrology. I'm sick and goddamn tired of it. But I'm such a Sagittarius. That's why I'm such a shitty person. <laughs> yeah, stop excusing your terrible personalities because the stars were a certain way, supposedly, from one point of view. You know that they're not fixed, right? Like they, they like okay. Yeah, you're getting way off off point, but no, that's why I that's why I hate astrology is because people use it as um, a reason to be shitty. Yeah, and that's all I mean to say. Yeah, it's a fun game. Otherwise, I like I like it's looking fine, at it's it. It's fine. It's fine. It's <laughs> fine. I'm not here to come for you if you're just treating it like a joke, but don't believe it. Don't no. believe any of it. So, I have studied a good amount of theology, and I've studied a decent amount of mysticism because it's always fascinated me. Mm. There's some really interesting books that I could recommend, and I've read. So, the quote on her epitaph, right, mm-hmm. is a reference to Kierkegaard. Yeah. Well, sorry, Kierkegaard. One of Kierkegaard's, one of Soren Kierkegaard's books, a Danish philosopher, uh, theological existentialist, mm-hmm. references that line yeah. from Philippines, uh, and it's. Uh, the fear he has a book called fear and trembling and he specific that book is specifically about finding your making your own ex, uh salvation yeah um taking charge of your life and being a knight of faith and all of that mm. very interesting book very cool uh shows the absurdism of christianity mm-hmm. and he believed in the absurdist nature of it and then that you just had to accept that it's nonsense it's great nonsense but it's nonsense yeah so the theology behind the whole light and dark thing mm-hmm. so traditionally considered was i thinking about star wars instead of christianity no no you're thinking of both you are thinking <laughs> of i both. think that's literally a line from star wars like it, uh, the the dark or the light the dark has to exist for the light to exist or something there's a bunch of stuff about that yeah <laughs> but yeah the dark side and the light or it's where there is light there's also light cast shadow basically is the yeah, idea yeah yeah that is star wars is more informed by more like eastern asian philosophies and mm-hmm. religions yeah this though there so christianity comes from a, a religion called zoroastri zoroastrianism mm-hmm. and christianity as we know it it's a hodgepodge of essentially a lot of cults yes uh, of various faiths. Well, Most everyone, of them Jewish, makes up, but, everyone makes up their own rules to make right. themselves feel better. Like baptism comes from the cult of yeah. Mithras, mm-hmm. which was a, Mithras was a bull god. Yeah. According to this cult. And you, to show your devotion to him, you would literally bathe in his blood. Yeah. As in, they would put you in a pit, cut a bull open over you, and you would bathe in his blood, and you were baptized. 
Yes. So being baptized in the blood comes from this cult of Mithras, a uh, bull god in Roman times. Yes. So where we get to with the whole duality thing is the Zoroastrianism aspect of it. Zoroastrianism has a dual face God. It's a, a ancient religion that still has some followers, though mm-hmm. less so these days. That is the root of all the, of most Abrahamic faiths. Yeah. And God, there were two gods. It was a dual God system. Yeah. So it's not strictly, it's not monotheism. It's, uh, polytheism but just barely yeah. literally the, the smallest amount of polytheistic you can be is two yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and one represented I'm, I'm really soaring over the theology here but one represented dark one represented light right which is to say one represented evil and one represented good or one represented chaos one represented order is probably more accurate mm-hmm. so where Christianity gets its ideas of God and the devil because there's not really any mention of like devils there are demons and things like that in the Jewish faith but there's not a lot of the devil himself. Like, he's not an icon the way yeah. he is in Christianity. Yeah. In Christianity, he's an icon, and he takes on... There's a lot of different versions of him, mm-hmm. um, which is why, like, Neil Gaiman in San, in the Sandman series yeah. uh, points out that Lucifer is one aspect, the beast is another, the Satan is another. Like, they're not all the same thing. They've yes. just been... Uh, because he plays with myth this way, they've all been combined over time, which is the truth, that they were... Yeah. In, ancient, in older versions of Christian theology, they were considered separate entities. Yes. And that there was a tripartite who mm-hmm. mirrored the tripartite Holy Trinity. Yeah. Now, it, like, and since then, they were like, well, that sounds like dual duotheism or polytheism, and we don't want that. It's the same with the, with the Trinity. Yeah. Um, so they went back and fixed their beliefs and said that's not what we ever believed it's always just been one and there's three parts of the one and they're not dual gods it's just that one is mean yes so but you still all see all these aspects of like dualism yeah uh of like theistic dualism in christianity it's very funny to watch christians struggle with that so what this lady's talking about with it she makes a good point I think it's interesting it is interesting it's thematically it's interesting very much like that yeah that you know Lucifer and the name Lucifer being the one the angel who fell yes right uh, from heaven and all of that so it's 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 a cool point but it's also it's funny to me to watch Christians struggle to be monotheistic when they just can't be yeah they just try so hard to be and they're like no but the devil is like a bad god and you're like nope nope not a god <laughs> it's, yeah. it's funny to me yeah um, the, um, the emphasis they put on evil is so strong that it's mm-hmm. essentially a worship of it yeah. Or reverence of it. Yeah. I should say. Yeah. So, um, final thoughts. I kind of, to wrap all of this up, it is a terrible movie. It's so bad. It's really bad, but it still scares Particularly me. Particularly as a horror movie, is but even if it was just thesis. a courtroom drama, it would be bad. Yeah. Sorry, and I just talked all the way over No, here. you're fine. Um, my thesis is this is a terrible movie, but it still scares me. But what scares me more is the actual story behind it, which doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. It's usually again. It's like it's like writers taking like a tiny piece and being like, "Oh shit! Well, what if this happened? What?" If, and then they get really creative with it, and it usually, you know, can turn oh, out really thank cool. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> um, but in this case, the true story of Annalise is gut wrenching. Yeah, very sad too. Yeah, I can't. I feel even more imagine. pity for her than I feel anything. I can't even imagine what it was like for her family to watch her go through that as well and for someone to stop eating all like all of that and just to come I mean 
it's kind of one of those situations where you've lost the family member before they've even passed. Yes. They're not themselves anymore, but you have this physical representation of them. You can compare it to like an Alzheimer's them. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. You've, lo- you've lost this family member before you've physically lost them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of my thesis statement on this. I will never watch this movie again. You can't make me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too dissimilar. Um, fuck big studios. Mm-hmm. This movie is really, really bad. Yeah. Don't bother watching it. I'm going to say there's spoilers in the footnotes, but honestly, you could just watch. You could just listen to us. Don't put yourself through this movie. It's if, not well, good. If there's nothing really... good about it except for the Mary scene. That's yeah. the only good arty thing that happens in it. The rest of it is just a studio factory piece, and it sucks. Well, if this is a topic so bad. If this is the topic that you're interested in, I just urge you to just do some research like I did on Annalise. Mm-hmm. As if, always, we'll have research notes in the footnotes as well. Yes. Um, I would uh, recommend that over watching this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only two hours long, but still, it's two hours it's of your life. You won't get two back. Hours. It felt like four. Um, so yeah, again, we don't really like to be super negative on this podcast, and we also don't like to be as heavy as this episode got. We will be covering a much lighter one next week, we promise, as a palate cleanser. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for uh, making it this far, tuning in. Um, I'm Nicole, and my lovely co-host is... You can always find us on Instagram at Horror Babes Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Horror Babes Pod. And you can find us on our website, as usual, at HorrorBabesPodcast.com. And, yeah, keep staying safe out there. Mm -hmm. All right. Bye, Bye, babes. babes.